record of your attendance, whether you are a longtime member, a first-time visitor, or someone that worships here on a regular basis. We ask you to grab that red or the pew pad there at the end of the aisle, pass that to the neighbors who are seated with you. A few announcements to share with you this morning. First is that uh, we have only a few more Wednesday night dinners and times of study together. So basically at the end of March, That'll be it for Wednesday nights until the fall. Uh, so we're going to do an adult Bible study uh, based on the last week of Jesus' life. That's going to take place uh, starting this Wednesday. The kids are going to continue in their study of Follow Me. And so we hope that you'll make an effort to be out and join us for one of those opportunities uh, over the next several weeks. Um, this is also the season of Lent. You uh, hopefully were able to enjoy our Ash Wednesday service with us for a time of reflection. But it's also a time in the history of our church and many other denominations where we talk about and collect the one great hour of sharing offering. It's an amazing offering that spans various denominational uh, boundaries that usually prevent us from being able to do things together. Uh, but it's a great time for us to work together to collect something that helps literally the entire world. And so you're going to hear a little bit this morning from Jack, who's going to give us a minute for mission on the One Great Hour Sharing offering. I think he took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> this is the one time, it's the single largest time that Presbyterians come together every year to work for a better world. The natural disasters is one of the things that we take care of. In 2021, there was over $3 million that was brought up. We also do deal with hunger, and over a million dollars in 2021. And we deal with the uh, poor and oppressed, over $200,000. So every little bit we do goes a long way. The kids will be getting these, and hopefully they'll fill those up. And these pew envelopes will be available. And if you're not using an envelope, I hope you'll write specifically what you want the money to go to. We're having some issues with that. So please be specific. So thank you. More will be coming from my, my crew in the weeks to come. And Jack does bring up a good point. We uh, we are thankful for any donations that we get that are specified to mission. Uh, and so thank you for those of you that make those donations. But if you could be a little bit more specific as to which mission, uh, which is what he's talking about. So if you do want to make a donation to One Great Hour Sharing, you can just put OGHS in the memo, or you can actually use uh, those pew uh, envelopes that are there. It's an amazing, amazing offering. Uh, we have seen some of those millions show up in the state of West Virginia. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that with the last flooding that hit Cabell County and other places, we're going to see those again. Uh, Presbyterian disaster assistance does show up in great ways. And so even the littlest amount that we make uh, to this offering helps tremendously for those in need. Let's now prepare our hearts to worship the living God. Said the straight man to the late man, where have you been? I've been here and 
I've been there and I've been in between I talk to the women My words all are carried away I talk to the women the wind does not hear The wind cannot hear I'm on the outside Looking inside And what do I see? Much confusion Disillusion all around me. I talk to the wind, my words all are carried away. I talk to the wind. The wind does not hear The wind cannot hear You don't possess me Don't impress me Just upset my mind You can't instruct me or conduct me Just use up my time I talk to the wind My words all are carried away I talk to the wind The wind does not hear The wind cannot I talk to the wind My words all are carried away I talk to the wind The wind does not hear 
the wind cannot hear said the straight man to the late man where have you been i've been here and i've been there and i've been in between call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 32. Happy are those whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let us all who are faithful offer prayer to you at a time of distress. The rush to the mighty waters shall reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. 
Come, let us to worship the triune God. Will you rise if you're able for our opening hymn number 166? Now the peace of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, be with you. And also with you. Children of God, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth, and we assure ourselves, our hearts before God, whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts. And God knows everything. Please join me. Almighty God, who blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as you know our weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, 
who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn us? Only Christ. Yet we know that Christ came for us, He lived with us, He died for us. He rose again to a new life for us, and is seated at the right hand of God Almighty, where the Apostle Paul reminds us that He prays for us. We know that in Christ's coming, God was reconciling the world to Himself, that our old life is gone, and a new life remain. So know that you have been forgiven, and be at peace. And pray also for me, a sinner. Amen. be seated. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Genesis chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 and then chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man You may eat freely of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, the man, and his, the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God.
may be seated, and at this time I invite the children forward for a children's sermon. Good morning. Did everybody get one of these Wednesday? If you were here Wednesday, did you get one of these? No? Okay. Take one pass that around. Okay. And I've got this little fish box here. What do you think I'm supposed to do with this fish box? Fill it with money. Why do we fill it with money? Because your pastor tells you to? Is that why you do it? No. Yes. Okay, well. (laughs) Yes and no, right? So for a long, long time, when I was your age, my church, it gave us little boxes like this and asked us to fill it with change. And so if you take a look at the calendar, um, you can get ideas of how you're going to be able to... um, to kind of celebrate and practice Lent, but also any time that you have some extra change or you want to do some chores uh, and earn some extra money from your parents or neighbors, and you stick it in here, no matter how much money you put in this little box when we give it um, to, we send all of the the monies that are collected in these boxes, we send it to um, Louisville, and and that's where our um, big church is, and they take all of those monies, and then throughout the year, whenever disaster happens or around the world, we send that money to those places so that those people um, can have a little bit better life. Like when there's a flood or when there's war or when there's um, terrible hunger, we are able to take money that you guys earn from these little boxes and we just send it. Right? Isn't that pretty cool? That our, Like it literally goes, 100% of the money goes to help other people. And so over the next um, several weeks while we're in the middle of Lent, while we're waiting for Easter, right? How many of you all get an Easter basket on Easter Sunday? So think about the awesomeness of what that's like to get that Easter basket. You've been waiting for it and waiting for it, and then finally on Easter it arrives and you get candy. What else is in your Easter basket? New what, buddy? New cards? Okay, all right, yes, what do you get? Joy- I don't know what that is. Is that a toy or no? A Joy-Con? Yes, I am dumb when it comes to that. I have no idea what that is, Braxton. But it's fun. Okay, Braxton gets those. All right, what do you get, Eva? Little toys. Okay, what else do you get? I know what you two don't get. You don't get peeps because you don't like them, right? You don't like them. All right, you like peeps, I'll give you peeps. But anyway, the surprise of Easter morning when you get that Easter basket, imagine if you hadn't had food for a long time. Or imagine if you hadn't had a home for a long time. And then suddenly somebody shows up and they're able to provide money for your family to be able to have a safe place to live or to have a place to eat, a a thing to eat. That's kind of what this, this offering does, right? So it's a way for us to give to others. Um, the things that are just kind of normal for us, okay? So I'm going to give each of you a box. I'm going to let you fold it and put it together because I think that's more fun than me folding it and putting it together for you all. And we're going to pray for the money that we collect, and we're going to pray for the people who will get this money at the end, okay? So bring this on Easter Sunday as our offering, okay? Okay, let's pray. You ready to pray? Pray after me. Dear God, you rock, and we love you. And we're so glad that you help us help others. Please take this offering that we will collect for the next month and help us help the world. We love you. Amen. Okay, go sit down.
Lord, I come, I confess, and bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. And you're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, and how I Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found, where you are. And where you are, I am free. Your holiness is Christ in me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. So teach my song. This Christ to you when temptation comes my way I cannot sin I fall on you and Jesus you're my hope and stay Lord I need you invite you to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. We'll be reading the first 11 verses. Hear God's holy word. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. 
The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus replied, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus replied to the devil, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and cared for him. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of His holy word. Let us pray. Holy God, we do thank You for Your story. We thank you, God, for the way that you interact with us in the form of this story. And God, we ask for help understanding this story this day. We say all this in the name of your Son. Amen. My suspicion is that you have likely encountered uh, someone at some time who has mentioned an old Scottish parable, Confession is good for the soul. Have you heard that? Did you know that it was Scottish? I didn't until I looked it up, to be honest with you. And actually, there's more to that statement than just confession is good for the soul. The true saying, the original saying is, open confession is good for the soul. And there's a big difference there. Open confession means that at any time we're around each other, we're just supposed to start confessing our sins to each other. Who's ready for that? Right? Who wants to just, every time we're together, let's just start repeating our, our temptations and our sins to each other. Are you ready for that? right? It's a big difference. And, and I think one of the things that open confession can do is, is that we're not, we're not really ready to hear some of the challenges that each of us face, the different kinds of challenges. One of the things that Jamie's aunt has taught us as our children have gotten older is don't ask questions you actually don't want to know the answer to, right? Sometimes it's just best left not knowing what the truth is. And sometimes I think that's the case um, for other professions and other situations as well. I don't know how many times in school that you got in trouble. I got in trouble in school from time to time, and never did I not uh, still get punished when I told what I had actually done, right? When I had done something, if I said yes, that's what I did. Even if it was yes, I was late to class. That never helped. Okay, so you knew that you were late to class, so you're still going to get detention, right? That's kind of how those things work. Medically speaking, any of you, I hope that this never happens to anybody in any of your families, but medically, sometimes when medicine is given to somebody, medicine reacts differently to somebody's body than what's expected, do you know the question that lawyers ask the medical person when it does unfortunately go to trial? They ask a very loaded question. Did you know what would happen to this person when you gave him the medicine? 
And no matter how you answer that question, you're in trouble. Because if you say no, well then why did you give them the medicine? And if you say yes, and something bad happened, well, why did you knowingly give them something that was going to cause tumult in that person's life? And, and it's unfortunately that's led to millions of dollars in malpractice insurance. There's a, a little known American author, his name is Peter DeVries. He was a Dutch reformed American author from the middle of the 20th century. My guess is you may have not heard of him, but he has a few neat little sayings and he has something to say about confession as well. He wrote some New Yorker articles in the mid uh, part of the 20th century uh, and he had some things to say. One of the funny things that he, he once said is, I love being a writer. I just hate the paperwork. Okay, that's the kind of funny quips that he would say. He said, I like to write when I'm inspired, and I see to it that I'm inspired every morning at 9 o'clock. Another one that's funny that I think he said was, the difficulty with marriage is that we fall in love with the personality, but we're in fact married to a character. The last thing, the, the thing about confession is, confession is good for the soul only in the sense that a tweed coat is good for dandruff. It is a palliative rather than a remedy. And I think all of those things kind of take us to the place where we have a better understanding of what Jesus goes through with temptation. Sometimes I think we forget that Jesus was tempted. I think temptation is a weird word that we're supposed to always avoid temptation. Any of you have ever looked at network television, you even know there's a show called Temptation Island, right? Where they put couples together and then they throw other people in to see if they can get them to break up their relationships. Our text this morning deals with Jesus being tempted. Now, we've been on several mountains over the last few weeks. The Sermon on the Mount uh, was something that we addressed for two weeks in a row. And then remember last week I said we jumped forward several bits to a different uh, mountain where Jesus was transfigured. And then this past Wednesday we jumped back to the Sermon on the Mount. And now we're at a different mountain. We're at the Mountain of Temptation in chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel. And I think it's really fitting that we open... Lent with this sojourn for Jesus to temptation. And different gospels have different kind of renditions of what happened in the temptation with Jesus. And so Matthew's is actually a rather soft version. Mark has it happen much more aggressively. As soon as Jesus is baptized, Mark records that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and immediately he was tempted. He was among the wild beasts, and the angels had to care for him. That's a little bit softer in Matthew's gospel. Matthew says the Spirit leads or takes Jesus into the wilderness, and it appears that Jesus is actually in control throughout all of the temptation. He fasts for 40 days, and only afterwards is he hungry. Unlike Mark, Matthew says there are no wild beasts that uh, Jesus has to contend with. And Matthew differs from Luke because Luke says 40 days and Matthew says 40 days and 40 nights. And when we read 40 days and 40 nights, immediately we think of, we should think of two separate occurrences in the Old Testament. The first is that when Moses was on the mountain, Mount Sinai, to receive the Ten Commandments, the Bible records that, G that Moses was there for 40 days and 40 nights. The other time that 40 days and 40 nights comes into play is when? 
Noah, thank you. Yes, good job. Awesome. Noah, right? Noah is in the ark with his family for 40 days and 40 nights. It rains. And so 40 also has to deal with the children of Israel who wandered in the wilderness for 40 days. And so it's, a, it's something that, again, Matthew is always trying to remind us that Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is something that's been a part of uh, our text, even in the Hebrew Scriptures. There's been com- some foreshadowing for that. So the 40 days that we have here is, is something that we should immediately think of, okay, this may be some kind of a, a holy experience. Just as Noah and his family were trapped in the ark, God was doing something for them that was preparing them for the rest of their life to fully be dependent upon God. Similarly, we can assume then that Matthew is thinking this 40 days is somehow a preparation for Jesus and his ministry as well. Matthew identifies the the devil here as the tempter. And that's the one of only two places in the entire New Testament that that word is used to describe the devil. The other one takes place in Thessalonians. And so Matthew gives this, this notion that Satan is the tempter, which kind of ties it to the text that Buck read, where we have this temptation in the Garden of Eden. He variously also calls him Satan. He calls him the evil one. He calls him the enemy, the prince of demons, and Beelzebub. That's a bunch of different names for the same character in Matthew's Gospel. And in Luke's gospel, Satan's first temptation is to try to make Jesus take a a stone and turn it into a loaf of bread. And then he tempts Jesus by taking him up and showing him the kings of the world. And then for a finale, Jesus is taken to the pinnacle of the temple. Well, that's not the same order that we just read in Matthew's gospel. Matthew is going to do a little something different here. First and foremost, you probably noticed that Matthew has the devil tempt Jesus and say, you should turn these stones into bread. In the Greek, it's both of those words are plural. So what's the first temptation in Matthew's gospel for Jesus? Jesus, look at this world. There's hunger in this world. You have the power. So turn all of these stones into bread, and suddenly there's no more hunger. Man, that sounds like an easy fix to what the world is suffering, right? But Jesus responds in a way that only Jesus can do. Man shall not live by bread alone. The second temptation in Matthew is Luke's third, the pinnacle of the temple. And then the third temptation, the finale in Matthew, takes place again on a mountain. And we know that Matthew is fond of mountains. Jesus' sermon, his, his initial conversation with people that would follow him takes place on the mountain. We've, we've gone through that Sermon on the Mount. And at the close of the Gospel, the disciples meet Jesus, guess where? On a mountain. And Jesus says, I will be with you always, even till the end of the days. These mountains serve as reminders of Moses and Mount Sinai. They also tap into this mystical understanding of association with mountains being closer to God. And again, even Noah's ark came to rest on what? A mountain, right? So at the heart of all of this is whether Jesus is really, truly the Son of God. 
So the devil is taking Jesus on all these places where we think God lives on these mountaintops where this understanding in the first century and even in you know ancient biblical history, we think that God lives up on mountains and we can get closer to God that way. And so at the heart of these temptations is Jesus' sonship of God. If you are the Son of God, why not feed a hungry world? The devil's challenges to Jesus to tempt him to use his sonship in a magical and triumphant way. Even though it's good, the result is good, there's a temptation there for Jesus to do something that he's really not supposed to do. Jesus' response is from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. The human being will not live on bread alone, but upon all the words going out through the mouth of God. Now, <clears throat> here's what's awesome about that. Very few of us know what's happening in Deuteronomy when, when Jesus is quoting this text, but anybody that was the original hearer of Matthew's gospel, again, primary audience for Matthew's gospel is, uh, is, is Jews of the time. They were the, that was who Matthew was writing to. And so they would immediately know the story when Jesus says you should not live on bread alone. It's a time when the Israelite people are on that 40-year journey and they're hungry. And suddenly, God does what? God says, I've heard the cry of my people, and so every morning you will receive manna, something brand new, something that your forefathers didn't know about, something that only you get. You get this manna from God. And so you need to get this manna because you can't live on bread alone. You have to live on the words that come from the mouth of God. And in some ways... We might imagine, I don't know how you imagine Jesus kind of responding to Satan, but I think when I originally heard this text, maybe even in my own mind, I kind of imagine like Jesus being a little philosophical or maybe even pious, like maybe he's even pointing, like he's making a point, right? I don't know exactly Jesus' physical posture, but Jesus is saying, I I'm going to argue rabbinically with you. I'm not just piously quoting Scripture to piously quote Scripture. There's a point. Satan is starting to twist Scripture with Jesus. And so Jesus is going to respond and say, no, it was a humbling for the Israelite people to receive manna. It wasn't something for them to be proud of. They were complaining to God. Is God really there? How is God going to provide for us? Weren't we better off in Egypt? I mean, if we know that text, the Israelite people were complaining the entire journey. We had garlic and we had leeks and we had spices and we had meat. It'd be better for us to be enslaved than to be free walking to the promised land. But God provides for them something that is for their sustenance. And Satan is trying to twist that with Jesus, similarly to how Satan twisted it in the garden. Now, Jesus' second temptation is that it says that Jesus was taken to the holy city by the devil. That's not in every translation, but that's in the original Greek, that he's taken to this holy city. Now, Matthew doesn't specifically say he's taken to Jerusalem, but we can imply there, we can take into uh, to account that we think that's what he's talking about. And so if he didn't mean Jerusalem, Matthew is the only of the four gospel writers to refer to Jerusalem as a holy city. Jesus is placed at the pinnacle of the temple, the height 
of religious power. And the devil issues a very clever retort to Jesus. Okay, you want to trust in God? Just as you said you want to trust in God, then jump off of here. Now, citing Psalm 91, the tempter challenges Jesus to do a religious trick. Surely God will save him. Or if not, Jesus will destroy himself, which is the tempter's true agenda. The central challenge is for Jesus to once again use his sonship to exploit religious power over the people. Does that sound familiar? That's kind of what Jesus is saying to the religious leadership. They're using religious power over the people. So if Jesus does literally what Satan is asking him to do with this second temptation, he's in fact becoming the exact thing that the people are upset about. They're lording over their religious power over the people. The people resented the temple elite. They lived high up and far away. So if Jesus does this, he's simply falling into another trap. It's a case of meet the old boss, same, or meet the new boss, same as the old boss. And Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now again, we might miss what this is from, but the original audience wouldn't have. Why, why should we not put the Lord our God to the test? Well, as the people were wandering in the wilderness for those 40 days, 40, 40 years, they got thirsty. And they looked at Moses and they said, is God really with us? If God is really with us, God would provide for us. And so this is the episode where they tap a rock and water comes out of the rock. Okay? But then the response is, you shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test. And so Jesus is kind of arguing theologically with Satan here. The fact is that the people do wonder, is the Lord with us? Well, what does Matthew teach us? Matthew is the one who from the very beginning says that his name shall be Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. This third test, it's really hard. Is, is Jesus really the Son of God? He's taken to the exceedingly lofty mountain, the great cosmic mountain, this mountain of ancient myth, and he showed all the kingdoms of the earth. Moses likely uh, likewise was also on top of a mountain, and he viewed all of the promised land. This is the second time in a very short reading that Matthew has directly connected Jesus with Moses. And the devil doesn't cite the passage directly, but his words really kind of recall Psalm 2. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. See, the, the trouble with temptation is that the devil often knows our text better than we do. And so that's kind of a leading question that he states there for Jesus. Hey, I know your story really, really well. Let's, let's look at Psalm 2 together. See, I'm going to take you and set you up on top of this high hill. And behold, that means if I'm taking you here, then this scripture has come true. You truly are. God's Son. The promise that God makes to His Son is that He will rule all of the nations 
on the earth. And so Satan says, we've made this all happen. I've taken you up here. I had the power to get you here. Now if you'll just bow down and worship me, then the earth will be your possession. Psalm 2 also says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. Just worship me, says the devil. And you actually make God's word come true. The devil, of course, is lying, right? But the true issue at hand is, who is God? And Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy one last time. The Lord your God you should fear. Him you should serve. And by His name you alone shall swear. Do not follow other gods. The devil can't be God. Only God is God. So the devil can have no part in truly ushering Jesus into His true understanding. His sonship as the, the Son of the, of the Father begotten before all worlds. This was a challenge that led the church. It was a challenge all the way through the 4th century. Part of the reason that we have in our Nicene Creed the statements that we have that He was of the Father before all worlds was to de describe exactly that Jesus wasn't just for a specific time and a place. The beauty of this situation that we find ourselves in here is that while Jesus was tempted in the exact same manner that we have been tempted and we are tempted, Jesus did not succumb to His temptation. How many of us have hungered for something? Maybe not necessarily food or drink. How many of us have really truly wanted a job or this house or a car or to be able to go here or to be able to go there to possess something? How many of us have, have looked at the droughts in our life when things we think just aren't going our way and we could say, if only this could happen, our life would be better? How many of us have longed to have control over everything? Perhaps even the desire to be the boss. What about the ability to have a workaround for every normal circumstance? Imagine if you're in the middle of a task. Maybe you're by yourself. Nobody's helping you out with this task. And you say, man, if only I could have da-da-da-da-da. And suddenly the da-da-da-da-da is in your hand. How many of you wouldn't want that, right? It would be amazing if we could do that. And we're silly if we say that that's not something that we desire. I hate traffic. There are times in my day I wish nobody else was on the road besides me, right? If I was Jesus, forget about parting the Red Sea, I would part the interstate, right? And just, there I go. And that's how I recognize I need a Savior. We can all say that we've been tempted and we've, and we've not succumbed to those temptations, but we also know that we have been tempted and we have succumbed to some temptations. We can live a life that is void of temptations and then maybe our life would be perfect, but guess what? Jesus' life was not void of temptation. Our life can never be void of temptation. It's impossible. And I don't like to admit that I fall short of the glory of God, but I do. And that's why I have to confess 
Christ in His mercy loves me regardless of anything that I've ever done that I've fallen short of the glory of God. And it's not the confession that gives me the mercy. It's God who provides the mercy. Confession is not good for the soul unless temptation is good for the soul as well because without temptation we couldn't confess. What would we have to confess if we'd never been tempted? Why would we need a Savior if we're inherently good? Most of our non-believing friends ask us when we talk about words like salvation, they say, salvation from what? We're in control. We have control to do all of these things. The greatest human sin, in my opinion, is the false sense of self-control. We can't help but fail and fall short of God's glory. But we can't let ourselves get caught up in saying, well, we're set up to fail. I might as well do what I want anyway. That's not the way that Christianity works either. Temptation is good for the soul because it lets the self and all of us realize that we are still alive and kicking, which should lead us then to confess our sins to our Savior, whom we know will forgive us, and then try really diligently not to do it again. So as we are entering this Lenten season, let us have this attitude that we are a broken race in dire need of forgiveness. Therefore, let us embrace the temptation instead of ignoring that it exists. Let us recognize that as we're tempted to do something, it's another way for God to work miracles in our lives. With God's help, we can achieve this. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. It's now time to have a, a joyous occasion in the life of the church, a day where we will ordain uh, Dave to be uh, to the office of elder. So I would like to invite uh, David to come forward now uh, to answer the questions of the Constitution. <clears throat> come on up here, David. Do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Acknowledge Him Lord of all and the head of the church, and through Him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? If so, say, I do. I do. Do you accept the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the, from the Holy Spirit the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ and the church universal and to God's Word to you? If so, say, I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in our confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what Scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? If so, say, I will. I will. Will you be a faithful minister in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? If so, say, I will. I will. Will you be governed by our church's polity? And will you abide by the discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's Word and your spirit? If so, say, I will. I will. Will you in your own life seek to follow our Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world? If so, say, I will. 
Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? If so, say, I do. I do. Will you pray for and seek for the service of your people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? If so, say, I will. I will. Will you be a faithful ruling elder, watching over the people, providing for their worship, nurture, and service? And will you share in the government and discipline, serving in the councils of the church and in your ministry? Will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? If so, say, I will. will. And to you, dear church, do you as the members of the church of Jesus Christ accept David Harvey as a ruling elder, chosen by God through the voice of the congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? If so, say, we do. Do you agree to pray for him? to encourage him to respect his decision and to follow as he guides serving Jesus Christ who alone is the head of the church? If so, say, we do. Any of you who are an ordained elder, please come forward now for the laying on of the hands for David as we pray for him. David, if you're willing, will you kneel? Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you so much for David, for the Harvey family. We thank you, Lord, for his yes to us. And Lord, we thank you for your yes to all of us before any of us have the opportunity to say yes to you. We thank you, God, for his willingness to serve in this place. And God, we ask that you would give him your eyes that he may see, your spirit so that he can understand. We ask that you would guide him and direct him in all of his life, but especially in the ministry of leadership in this church. In this we say, in your name, amen. You may stand. This is our newest elder. Welcome. Thank you. Now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. It's now time for us to continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, as we return a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask for your wisdom and for your courage to use these gifts in a manner in which you see fitting. All this we say in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Let us bind our hearts and minds together as we lift our petitions to our Lord and to our King. Holy and gracious God, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the story of your son's temptation. Allow it to be for us, Lord, an opportunity to see within our own selves, to see ways, Lord, that you have guided and directed us in our history, how you have brought us through disaster, how you have set us free and prepared us to be your servants, serving with our hands and our hearts and our love, a world around us that is hurting so deeply. We pray, Lord, this day for those who do not have the freedom to gather and worship. We pray, Lord, for those who gather to worship with the fear of persecution, suffering, imprisonment, or even death. We pray, God, for the tormented church of the Middle East. We pray, God, for the church of the Horn of Africa, the church that's tormented in Asia. While we do not know those sisters and brothers by name, we lift them to you now, God. We're thankful, Lord, that in this country we have the freedom to worship, and we thank you, Lord, for those whom we call veteran who have fought and given their lives historically so that we have this freedom. We pray, God, for those people in the military who continue that day, this day, to fight for our freedom. And at the same time, God, we know that you pray for us also, that you call for us to pray also for our enemies. While we don't always enjoy that, Lord, we do so at the same time. We pray, God, for our president, for our governor, for the leaders of our nation, the leaders of our state, our state and local leaders, whoever govern over us, God. We pray that you would be patient with them as they await hearing your still small voice. We pray, Lord, today for those who will literally pray for their daily bread. We ask, God, that you would hear that prayer and burden us to meet that need. We pray, Lord, for families torn asunder. We pray, God, this day for those who are not in relationship with their children. We pray, Lord, for those who live isolated. We pray, Lord, for those who are unable to get out, to come to worship, or to be a part of society. We pray, Lord, for those who suffer. God, because we are a community of faith, we pray for those who are seated to our right and to our left, in front of us and behind us. And in the stillness of this moment, Lord, we pray for ourselves. Holy God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. We thank you, Lord, for sending your Son to earth, that he showed us how to live and taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Please stand as you are able for our closing hymn, hymn number 819, Be Still My Soul.
The one question I, I didn't want to address in the sermon, but I, I want to leave us with today. The temptation of Jesus is one of those stories that we kind of are left wondering, or at least I'm left wondering, how did we ever find out that that happened? Every time Jesus is tempted, he is by himself. No matter which gospel writer writes about it, Jesus is by himself. So how did the gospel writers find out that Jesus was in fact tempted? I have to assume Jesus told them. I was out there, and the devil tried to get me to do this, this, and this. And you know what? The devil's going to try to get you to do this, this, and this. But you, through the power of God, have the ability to say, get behind me, Satan, which I think is one of the coolest phrases of the entire Bible, right? Like, get behind me, like, that's just awesome, right? And I think during Lent, we have to face the fact that we are, on a regular basis, tempted to do the thing that God doesn't want us to do, but that the world would love and welcome for us to do it. You beat temptation today by coming to church. So you've already had one win for the week. Keep up the good work, right? And next week, do it again. And, and serve other people in between. Love God and love neighbor. It's the easiest commandments God's ever given. Be tempted to love more. Amen? Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May He be with us all until we meet again, either here or His glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday.